Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. Prayer for the last few weeks, trying to get a better understanding of what it means for us to pray. The Lord teaches us how to pray in this prayer. Uh, I'll read all of it to us. Uh, Matthew 6, starting at verse 9, and I'll close at verse 13. Let me remind you, this is God's good and kind and gracious word that He has given to His people, so we need to give uh, attention to it today. The Lord said, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for giving us Your Word today. And we thank You, Lord, that by Your Word, we can have life. And I pray, Lord, that You would do what You have promised to do in Your Word, to give Your people life. Pray that You would help us by the Spirit see Christ and see Him in His love for us that we might be motivated to pray as you have taught us to pray. Lord, we thank you again for giving us your word, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, R.C. Sproul uh, was a teacher at RTS uh, Seminary in the 80s and 90s. Of course, he's a theologian that many of you are aware of through Ligonier Ministries. But, But in his teaching ministry, especially at the seminary, he was very aggressive and he was hard on the students. And this is just one example of that, a story that I heard from one of his students uh, whenever he was there. Uh, R.C. was teaching a class on systematic theology, and uh, at the beginning of every class, he would go down the list and call on uh, uh, students in the class to, to pray, to open up the class. And so uh, the first day of class, the students were, of course, excited about this because here was their opportunity to pray this incredible prayer to impress the great R.C. Sproul. And so the first student on the first day got up to pray, and he prayed all manner of things in great lofty language, and he closed his prayer, he said amen, and then as soon as he sat down, R.C. began to tear into that student for the heresies that he dare prayed uh, in that prayer. One of them, the one that most notably stands out is, you know, at times we'll pray, Lord, please be with us. And that's one thing we pray. And R.C., I remember uh, hearing him saying, be with us, be with us, as if God didn't promise that he would always be with us, even to the end of the age, you know. He was really going after the students. And so uh, class after class, calling on a student, they would stand up and they would pray and they would attempt to, to pray this great prayer. And everyone, one by one, after the prayer, they would be torn down and be shown all of their faults. Till he got to one student one day, he asked him to pray and the student stood up and he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And everyone was waiting for R.C. to light into that student. And when the student sat down, R.C. said, well, we can't do any better than that, can we? (laughs) This prayer is the model prayer that Jesus has given to his people. It's a model prayer for us to learn how to pray. It's concise, it's short, it's, it's dealing with a wide variety of themes. And 
And today we're looking at this sixth petition. At the, at the beginning of your bulletin, you'll see there we have some reflections uh, that deal with, uh, in, in two different catechisms, the Westminster Shorter Confession of Faith, or Shorter Catechism and the Heidelberg Catechism, what this sixth petition means for us. And I'll encourage you to go back uh, and to read that. But essentially it's this. It's coming from what Nathan preached on last week about sin uh, and our need for forgiveness of sins. And then now, related to our sin, our need for protection from our sin. And that's how Jesus flows into this, all right? So let's look at this in three different ways this morning. First of all, in this, I want you to see that Jesus actually highlights the enemy that we face. So that's the first thing I want you to see, the enemy that we face. Now, we live in a world full of anxiety. I think the statistic is like 80% of the people uh, in the United States are on anxiety medicines because we feel acutely that we are in danger all of the time. When the reality is that most of us are not in any kind of physical danger at any time, but we feel that way. And so, because this feeling, uh, we, you know, we, have, we take medicines, we do things to cope with that feeling. And and while I want to encourage you and remind you that because of God's protection, we are not in physical danger, there is a very real and very present threat to us today. As a matter of fact, I would argue that we are under much greater threat today, even as you sit here, than you realize. Because there's the threat of spiritual warfare and the spiritual dangers that we're in. We are under threat because we are under constant danger to sin. That's what Jesus is saying here. He begins and he says, and lead us not into temptation. Because Jesus understands that our greatest problem is sin. Now, people who exegete this passage and do comment, uh, commentaries on this passage have tried to kind of twist this around and tried to say, well, look, when Jesus uses the word temptation, you need to understand that that word temptation has a wide variety of meanings. And in other places in the scripture, most notably James chapter one, uh, it's used interchangeably with the word trial. And so some people have said, well, what Jesus actually means here is, Lord, lead us not into trials. And at one point, Years ago, I preached on this, and that was how I saw this passage. Well, over the years, I've kind of taken a different view on this because in James chapter 1, when he's talking about those trials, uh, James is talking about the kinds of trials that we are uh, in because God is growing us more and more in who Jesus Christ is, more and more in His image. And so most certainly what Jesus is not asking for us to pray in this passage is that we would be removed from the very things that he is using to make us more like Christ. Now, actually, I think we can take this on face value and understand that what he is calling for us to pray is that we would not be led into the kind of temptation that would activate and encourage the sin that is inside of us. Over and over and over, the scriptures teach us that we have three enemies. Our enemies are the world, the devil, and the flesh. The Apostle Paul calls the flesh the old man that still resides in us. And you will hear us talk about this from time to time, that with the coming of Jesus Christ, we have been broken, or the power of sin has been broken over us, but there is still the presence of sin inside of us. And Jesus, understanding his people, understands that that presence of sin in us leads to all sorts of dangers. 
You see, what's happening in this, and the reason why the world is our enemy is because the world offers a way of salvation and essentially it's you do you. You do what you want to do. You be who you want to be. And if you can find your most authentic self, then you will be saved. And Satan, taking what the world says, working behind the scenes in that, promotes that and says, absolutely, you do you. You do what you want to do. And that's essentially what he did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He gave to them something that ultimately they wanted more than God. They wanted to be God themselves. And that's what the the world does. The world and Satan come together, join forces to try to tempt us into not following God. But that means ultimately this. That our real enemy is the sin that resides inside of us. What a lot of people hear whenever they hear that the world is our enemy, what they, what they think they can do is they can disengage from the world, they can escape from the world, and therefore they can avoid all of the temptations into sin. Uh, one of my favorite movies is a movie from M. Night Shyamalan called The Village. And the essential premise of that movie is all of these good people afraid of the world, get together to try to create this village, this perfect enclave for themselves. And ultimately, do you know what they find in this village? It's kind of a horror movie because in this they find that the real danger is inside each and every single one of them. They cannot escape the danger because the real enemy is inside of us. Your own remaining sin is the thing that you need to be most aware of Because that is the thing that instigates you into sin. And what does sin do? Sin is constantly attempting to bring us destruction and chaos. Where God is attempting to bring order and life, sin only brings destruction and chaos. And because of that, because Jesus knows what we ultimately really need, He says, then you need to pray like this, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Because, big main point, We are weak. That's the whole point of this prayer. I don't know if you've seen this. We are weak. Now, the first half of this prayer, Jesus says, pray to the majesty and greatness and glory of God and who He is. And then the second half of the prayer, He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation. What Jesus is saying there is you are so weak, you cannot provide for yourself. You are absolutely dependent upon God for anything, much less your daily bread for your sustenance. And you are so weak that you need pardon. You cannot pardon yourself. You need pardon from your sin. Forgive us our debts. And then the final thing that he says is you need protection. That'll preach. Provision, pardon, protection. You need these things because you are weak and you cannot provide for yourself. You cannot pardon yourself and you cannot protect yourself. Jesus understands these things and so you must pray. Humble yourself before God and pray that He would not lead you into temptation. This first thing you see is that we face a great enemy. Secondly, I want you to understand the fight that we're in. The fight that we're in. Because this fight is a fight of life and death. Now, we don't live like it most of the time. Let me illustrate it this way. A couple of weeks ago, on my way out of the house, I ran into the door. All right? 
Now, it's a big door, and it's a door that I walk out of every single day, and I ran into that door. I put a big mark on my face right here, and I was driving in, and my face was hurting, and I was thinking to myself, what am I going to tell people when they ask me what happened to my face? And sure enough, Charles asked me, what happened to your face? And I said, the first rule of Fight Club is we don't talk about Fight Club. And I left it at that. And then I said, no, I actually ran into a door, embarrassed by that. But, but we actually treat spiritual warfare much like that. The first rule of spiritual warfare is we don't talk about spiritual warfare. And there's something about middle-class Presbyterians where we don't like the, th the thought of the idea that we are out of control and that we are actually in a fight and we need to talk about it. And the apostles understood that. So they are talking about spiritual warfare all the time. They are never quiet about the, the, the spiritual warfare that we're in. And so we need to talk about it. The apostles said over and over and over, be on guard, stand fast, watch out. And that's kind of the first step in this. How do you prepare for the fight? Well, you need to know your enemy. And we've already dealt with this some. Know your enemy. Who is your enemy? You are your enemy. The sin that resides in you is your enemy. You need to know your own weaknesses. We are prone to wander. Not wonder, wonder, but wander. We're prone to leave the God that we love. We are prone to walk away from Him. And we sing that in one of our favorite hymns. What is it that makes you prone to wander away from the Lord? What is it that makes you feel your weakness and think, in my weakness, I can do it on my own and I don't need His help? And we begin to look at all these other things to actually provide for ourselves, to protect ourselves. What makes you feel your weakness? What makes you, this is another way of asking it, what makes you feel afraid? What are you afraid of? What are the sort of, sorts of things that you say, if I just had blank in my life, if I just had that one thing, if I just had someone in my life that loved me, if I just had children that were obedient, if I just made a little bit more money, if I just had this job that I liked, if I just had the respect of my peers, if I just had blah, 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 on and on and on, if I just had that one thing, then I would be okay. All of those things are places where we are attacked and Satan distracts us. That is Satan's primary tool, is getting us to not look at the glory and the majesty of God, to look at ourselves and look at how we can provide for ourselves. And oftentimes what Satan will do is he will keep us busy with a million things that are good to distract us from the things that are the absolute best. And that's ultimately what Satan wants to do. Remember once again, Eve in the garden where Satan approaches Eve and he said, did God really say, you know, did God really say that you can't eat of this one tree? And then she begins to look at what God has said and he goes, yeah, God is, God is holding something back from me. When God had said, you have all of this goodness and all of, this great, all of these great things, Satan is trying to distract from what God has actually said. So that, how do you prepare for the fight? First of all, know your enemy. Know your weakness. Know your weakness by, this is one of those things that you can do, by asking people around you, what are my weaknesses? Where are my blind spots? 
Ask for help. Acknowledge your weakness and your need for help. And acknowledge the fact that God has provided us to help us in that. That's how you prepare for the fight. Secondly, how do you engage in the fight? How do you actually engage in this fight? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, you don't have to turn there. I'll turn there for you. Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul in his famous uh, passage where he's talking about uh, how we put on the armor of God for this spiritual fight. He says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. And he says again, a couple more times, stand firm, stand, stand firm, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoes for your feet and, uh, and having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and he kind of comes to his conclusion here praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication how do you prepare and engage in this fight you pray. You pray. One of my seminary professors said, we are at war best when we are turned in the opposite direction from our enemy with our head up to God, praying that He would do the fighting for us. Pray that the Lord would fight for us. It's the second thing we see. The third thing, the thing that we really need to grasp in, in and through all of this as we are engaging in this fight is that we have victory already in Christ. Or the third point, the victory we already have in Christ. When Jesus says this, Lord, lead them not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In many of your, uh, in many of your Bibles, you'll probably have a little note at the bottom that says that, the, that deliver us from evil probably should read from the evil one. All right, Jesus, Jesus understands the role of Satan and the role of the attack. And so here, I think what Jesus has in mind is something that we actually read in Matthew chapter 4, just one page before this. Turn to Matthew 4 verse 1. And listen to these words and listen to the connection. After Jesus baptized and he heard the word from his father come down from heaven this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased when he is experiencing the glory of the validation of the father what happens 4:1 then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry and the tempter came to him and said if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaths of bread. Jesus had in mind and understood the reality of the temptation that His people would face because He faced that same kind of temptation. And why did He face that temptation? He faced that temptation because His Father wanted Him to face that temptation. His Father wanted Him to know what it was like to struggle 
to experience the things that he ultimately needed, the dependence upon his Father. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, needed to struggle and therefore was led into the wilderness for this struggle. And what happened? Satan came and attacked him. And how did he attack him? He attacked him first for that whole thing of provision. Basically calling into question the provision of God the Father for him. Why hasn't your God the Father who said he loves you so much provided food for you? Jesus, you need to provide food for yourself. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes by the mouth of God. And then, once again, when that didn't work, Jesus took, uh, or Satan took Jesus into the holy city and on top of the temple, having him look all around. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. See, Satan is crafty. He says, look, didn't the Bible say this? Doesn't God say this? He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest, they, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Be very careful about people who, who take God's word out of context and attempt to uh, teach you out of context. That's what Satan is doing. And what Jesus says in response is, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then finally, Jesus says, uh, he takes him and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, Satan says to Jesus, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Satan was offering him power, might without the cross. Satan was offering for Jesus to have all the kingdoms of the world without having to do what his father had asked him to do. And Jesus responds ultimately with this, but not my will be done but the Father's will be done. And here's what I want you to see. In that interaction, Jesus won that victory. Jesus won the victory for you, but still went to the cross. And what did he say right before he went to the cross? He said, Father, let this cup pass before me. But again, not my will be done, but your will be done. Who are the enemies of Jesus Christ? See, you and I were the enemies of Jesus Christ that day. Jesus did not deserve to drink the cup of God's wrath. And yet, because of our sin, because of our hatred for God, He went to the cross to take our sin upon Himself, to take the penalty that we deserved as His enemies. And He did it because of His great love for us. And in doing that, He won the victory for us. We fight because victory is assured in Jesus Christ. When he cried out, it is finished, it really is in finished. If we are in Jesus Christ, we have full assurance that the victory is ours in him. Let me close uh, by turning back to the Psalms, Psalm 23, a very familiar one, of course. Uh, this psalm is a psalm, again, very familiar. We, many of us know it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. You see that? Lead us not into temptation. And here the psalmist says, He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. What we're praying in the prayer 
Lead us not into temptation. That's the negative way to put it. But we're saying, Lord, lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord, lead me in the paths that you would have me walk so that you might receive the glory for who I am. The psalm goes on, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In just a few minutes, we're about to come and and partake of this table, the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's very curious that he says there, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Well, who are your enemies? You're your own enemy today. And yet, he has prepared a table for you to come to see the victory of Jesus Christ. Isn't it an amazing thing that he said? And he closes it by saying this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because we have the great privilege of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your word today, and we thank you that we can once again experience your great grace and mercy to us because your mercy and goodness follow us all the days of our lives. And in fact, they pursue us even to the ends of the earth. We thank you, Lord, that in Christ, victory is assured, that we can fight because Christ has fought for us and we can face our enemies because you conquered the last enemy of death. Thank you and praise you for your goodness. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.